Hi. Welcome to Danny Rare's blog. Fitness for Ambition Ambition is a transitional property. Certain qualities feed it while other outcomes result from it, like soil about a seed. Just as with hosting and nurturing that seed, ambition must be activated, not realized. More pronounced than definitional ambition is a term I made up, fitness for ambition, defined as dynamically what works for us and against us in the pursuit of ways to make us feel rich and flourish in doing so. There's a foundation and a myriad of opportunities positioned on either end of fitness for ambition. It too is transitional. Figuring one's foundation and then transitioning that sense by means of one's fitness for ambition is the focus of this post. Moreover, activating one's fitness for ambition will help one make sense of the workplace and improve one's career. Desired result. Let's start with the desired result of activating one's fitness for ambition. Scaling up is the myriad of opportunities I mentioned, the flourish portion of the term's definition. In my post, Scaling Up Personal Ambition, I define scaling up as, quote, the ability to recognize your current resources and opportunities and then pair them with potentially new resources and opportunities through creativity, new possibilities, and strategic fit. Your end result would be growth, improvement, newness, support of others, and so on, end quote. That's a brief description of what's possible through Fitness for Ambition. On the opposite end of the range I'm covering, there's feeling rich. Let's explore. The sense of feeling rich. As an idea, fitness for ambition is mine. Feeling rich is not. I did not come up with a phrase or its convention. For that, I learned from Dr. C.K. Bray. It's been a few years since I read Chris C.K. Bray's book, Best Job Ever. The biggest lesson for me remains, quote, Rich is a feeling, not a possession or an abundance of stuff, end quote. I'll add to that, quote, my own impression. Feeling rich is not self-help, nor is it having achieved something. It is unique qualities that are sensorily meaningful only to ourselves. No one achieves feelings. To that end, we might uncover feelings we didn't know we had. They're just not some stockpile. To emphasize, feeling rich is sensory, a feeling. We all have feelings. Thereby, we can all feel rich. That's the real lesson. Bray gave us an even greater lesson. His book's subtitle is, quote, Rethink your career, redefine rich, and revolutionize your life, end quote. These attributes, our career, our feelings, our lives, are ours. That means we've already got them. Activating richness is your individual authority. What a powerful latent cause. Activating the feeling of richness through fitness for ambition isn't so out of reach. It's qualitative. There is a choice. We can manage ourselves. Control is ours. Feeling rich by the number of dollars in your pocket aside, recognition is subjective and it's yours to choose, manage, and control. 
The sense of feeling rich is your individual power. Even better, it's your latent cause. When it comes to fitness for ambition, give some serious thought to the combination comprising your individual authority. Examples of feeling rich. That's all well and good, but what are some general examples of feeling rich? In fact, there are many. Consider if you agree. Your free time, a new pair of shoes, delighting in dessert, love, moments with family, making a wish upon a star, a pastime, passion, or hobby that you really enjoy. Parenthetically, for me, it's all that goes into Danny Rare's blog. Applying Individual Authority This is a business blog. I think feeling rich is mandatory to professional happiness. Without happiness, work feels like, well, work, doesn't it? Here's hoping you have experienced feeling rich in some daily manner. My focus is on the workplace and one's career. General happiness is somebody else's blog. Individual authority has organizational, professional, and personal implications. Some may even conflate feeling and being rich. Organizational implications. Personal choices, self-management, and sense of control have organizational reverberations in the workplace. To this effect, my recent post, The Employee, highlighted three tensions. Those tensions generate sliding scales that, together, balance every organization's perspective of its people as resources and definitions of its employees as people. Ultimately, the review argues that employees are the company. It's empowering, actually. Same as individual authority. There is, then, a certain gravity to happiness in an organization's employees. The employee also mentioned the conclusion of a longitudinal study of one million U.S. Army soldiers over a span of five years by Paul B. Lester et al. Quote, Clearly, our military study shows that organizations should want happy employees because they perform significantly better than those who are unhappy. But it turns out that organizations also need happy employees because happiness is in fact contagious. End quote. First, being rich is not contagious. Don't you wish it were? Second, if happiness enhances performance, then we can logically presume satisfaction, fulfillment, positivity, and balance largely influence one's disposition at work. Three things to think about then. One, indeed, feeling rich, unique qualities that are sensorily meaningful only to ourselves, is our latent professional cause. Two, might feeling rich given the work you do positively influence a healthier balance of the three tensions? And three, work happiness is happy work. Liberty, less is more. Feeling rich professionally is not a blunt insistence. I aim to be professionally rich. We need our staff to be happier in order to be successful. I have to be consistent in feeling richer today than I was yesterday. Another way of thinking about professional richness is not having more, but rather dealing with less. Interesting, no? The sense of richness strips away a profit motive like accumulation of being rich. It's not about wealth in that way, no. Instead, your individual authority to feel rich is a self-determined liberty through the removal of barriers. 
Kathleen Elkins made this case using the conventional sense of richness. She gave an interview of Steve Siebold's 2010 book, How Rich People Think, in her CNBC Money article, Eight Ways Rich People View the World Differently Than the Average Person. Quoting the book, she brought to light, quote, The rich see money as a positive tool that has the power to create freedom and opportunity for themselves and their families, end quote. Of course, the rich considered was monetary wealth. However, her point that, quote, rich people believe money is liberating, end quote, is the same as braise, a feeling, feeling rich. Imagine the same emphasis in your own career, freedom and opportunity. Rich is a feeling, yet the implications are even more valuable and distinctively beneficial than mere happiness as described earlier. Imagine what you could achieve. Having chosen to use the word twice just now, I'll come back to it later. Imagination. It's important. Richness is active versus passive. A lesson about individual authority may be learned from conventional richness too. Ask yourself, what's the right approach to feeling rich? Melissa Houston's Forbes.com article, How to Get Rich from Absolutely Nothing, explains seven tips for accumulating and sustaining richness. They are all quantitative, all mindful of graduating to more. Houston's first tip is, quote, have a positive money mindset, end quote. She asserts, quote, everyone carries a money story, end quote, and that, quote, reframing your story to a millionaire's mindset is essential for success because rich people think differently, end quote. Kathleen Elkin's article, mentioned earlier, navigated the venturesome mindset in a slightly more approachable, if not troublesome, way. She noted that, quote, the average person believes being wealthy is a privilege, end quote, whereas, quote, rich people believe being wealthy is a right, end quote. From Houston, I take away the inference of aggressiveness. From Elkin's consideration of both parties, rich and average, I get the impression of active and passive positioning, respectively. The rich see license, the average see resignation. Which approach, in spite of the topic of actual wealth, does the phrase individual authority connote to you? To sum up the application of individual authority, I will repeat, ambition must be activated, not realized. It's your game to play, or as Dr. C.K. Bray used to say on his former podcast, quote, remember, it's your career, end quote. Playing the infinite game. Let's segue from the financial meaning of rich to the elephant in the room. What about actually being rich? The individual authority to be rich versus feel rich is different. Choice, management, and control still apply, yet the difference in being rich is that one must play a finite game as opposed to an infinite game, which I'll get to. The reason may be simple economics. There is only so much money to spread around. Another reason may be that if being financially rich was easy, then everyone would be rich. Heck, I'll take a few million dollars right now. Is that the millionaire's mindset? I joke, but one has to have more than another to quantitatively be rich, while everyone can feel rich. It's comparative, isn't it? Yeah, they're both rich, but he's richer. By contrast, 
Has there ever been an argument made? Yeah, they're both happy, but he's happier. Nonsense. James P. Kars wrote a book called Finite and Infinite Games. The broad takeaway was, quote, a finite game is played for the purpose of winning, an infinite game for the purpose of continuing the play, end quote. A causal reading of that quote may prompt a thought, having money allows me to continue my life in the way I want. I'm not arguing that point. There are benefits to having money. When it comes to making sense of the workplace and improving your career, however, I argue that feeling rich is even more valuable. From jamescarst.com, quote, Finite players play within strict rules, else they cannot say who has won or who has lost. Infinite players play with rules because they must be constantly adjusted in response to changing circumstances, end quote. Feeling rich is more realistic because it is representative of parity. Feeling rich is yours, and it's mine. It's everyone's opportunity, not a case of the haves and have-nots. There's no keeping up with the Joneses. It's not about having more or less than someone else. The desire of feeling rich should be sensorily meaningful perpetuation. Feeling rich by financial means, even or otherwise, is most everyone's goal most everyone's purpose, and attainable in one's career. How so? It is the quintessential infinite game. But Karst said, infinite players play with rules. What are those rules? Fitness for Ambition, the title of this entry and my concluding concept. What is ambition? To understand fitness for ambition, we need to first address the word ambition itself. Ambition is defined by my MacBook's Apple Dictionary as, quote, a strong desire to do or achieve something, typically requiring determination and hard work, desire and determination to achieve success, end quote. That's great, but what does one do with strong desire when all the desire in the world doesn't generate opportunity? I really, really, really want to be rich. Will that make me gobs of money? Is ambition something else when achievement is not the outcome? Parenthetically, see my most recent post, Failure, for alternative perspective on this topic. There must be more to ambition than desire, determination, and hard work. What it is likely will surprise you. Let's learn an insight to ambition through what may be the purest form of definitional ambition in business, entrepreneurship. The Unfair Advantage Ash Ali and Hassan Kuba co-authored a terrific book called The Unfair Advantage, How You Already Have What It Takes to Succeed. I'll quote them twice. First, as startup investors, they concluded, quote, Success in the startup world is not awarded to the hardest workers. It is awarded to those who develop and use their unfair advantages, end quote. Then there's the definition of unfair advantage, the central theme of the book. Quote, An unfair advantage is a competitive upper hand, and your set of unfair advantages is unique to you. It's more than a unique selling point. It's a fundamental leg up over the competition, and often it's one that is not earned or worked for. End quote. Deeper dive into unfair advantage. An unfair advantage is a sampling of fitness for ambition, and a coveted example of an unfair advantage is first-mover advantage. 
Fernando F. Suarez and Gianvito Lanzola define this phenomenon in the following way. Quote, a firm's ability to be better off than its competitors as a result of being first to market in a new product category, end quote. First mover advantage is not a success maker every time, nor is it the only unfair advantage one can have. Still, it's a well-known example of unfair advantage. How about drilling down further still with an example of first mover advantage? There's perhaps no more popular technology review channel on YouTube than the one featuring MKBHD, the pseudonym for Marquez Brownlee. Even he admits to first mover advantage resulting in his 15.9 million subscribers and near 3.1 billion videos to date. For Wired in July 2022, Brownlee answered the question, why is Marquez Brownlee so popular? Quote, that's a good question. I think it's a little bit of skill and a little bit of luck combining with opportunity. I started making videos a very long time ago, and it's sort of had the opportunity to build up since then. So it didn't just become popular, it didn't explode onto the scene. End quote. Imagination, where individual authority to feel rich and one's unfair advantage meet. Unfair advantage is an intriguing concept. It takes some imagination to discover what are one's unfair advantages. Moreover, imagining is a form of perceived control. We can imagine anything we want. It's our thoughts, our ideas. Much the same as feelings, we all have an imagination. And, much the same as feeling rich, our imaginations fall under our individual authority to choose, manage, and control. Keep that in mind as I point out. The Invention Cycle Tina Selig of Stanford University wrote a book in 2015 entitled Insight Out. In it, she introduced the Invention Cycle. It's a simple framework that has ties to what I deem the purest form of definitional ambition in business, entrepreneurship. Only, I will not get into the full-fledged entrepreneurial aspects. Consequently, and for my purposes, the cycle is more linear. In a talk she gave at Stanford University in 2014, when she called the published invention cycle an inventure cycle, Selig said the invention cycle is built of four segments. One, imagination. Two, creativity. Three, innovation. And four, entrepreneurship. Imagination can fuel creativity, which may lead to innovation that may be sourced through entrepreneurship. In her own words, quote, Imagination, I define very simply, is the ability to envision things that don't yet exist. Creativity, then, is applying your imagination to solve a problem. Innovation, then, is applying your creativity to come up with a unique solution. So if I invent a peanut butter sandwich, that's creative, but it's not innovative. Innovations are when I push through and come up with things that are actually new to the world. Entrepreneurship, then, is applying our innovation to bring those ideas to life, to bring them to fruition and to the rest of the world." Seelig's invention cycle, when employed concurrently with discovering a sense of richness and one's fitness for ambition, leads to the decision to activate that fitness for ambition. When? In between innovation and entrepreneurship. 
Why? Personal ambition is unique to all of us. Whatever is our fitness for ambition based upon what makes us feel rich will be unique to us as well. If Selig's invention cycle were to somehow replace fitness for ambition, then activation would be manifested by entrepreneurship. Since entrepreneurship goes beyond the scope of this post, I have chosen to apply the majority of Selig's invention cycle and flatten it to become a linear process, with the outcome being activation and assessing scale-up opportunities. Besides, the rules for feeling rich is a continuous framework, an infinite game defined by our individually unique fitness for ambition. Breakdown of fitness for ambition. A reminder. Fitness for ambition is dynamically what works for us and against us in the pursuit of ways to make us feel rich and flourish in doing so. Let's break it down. Dynamism. The dynamic aspect is pertinent to what makes us feel rich. One sense of richness versus another may require different advantages and restraints. An example, writing this blog makes me feel rich. So too does drinking coffee. I need time to write, whereas access to specialty coffee is key for my coffee. The advantage of time versus the restraint of access to a product do not coincide and therefore are dynamic variables. Advantages What dynamically works for us in the pursuit of ways to make us feel rich and flourish in doing so are our advantages. Our unfair advantages, including luck, self-awareness, education, experience, resilience, talent, desire, etc. Restraints. Then there are restraints, or what works against us in the pursuit of ways to make us feel rich and flourish in doing so. Yes, what restrains us triggers our personal ambition, which is the aggregate of our personality, character, motivations, and aspiration, and our personal strategy. A definition of restraints are an ambition currency spend of energies and mental capacity that may otherwise be readiness factors to benefit fitness. Here's a list of restraints to consider. Fear, constraints from the past, acclimating to an environment, graduation from the past, external approval, and luck that establishes disadvantage. Of note, and in a way, restraints may at times be more important than the advantages they are the features that disallow ambition's transitional property from getting us from knowing what makes us feel rich to using fitness for ambition in its entirety to assessing scale-up opportunities. The pursuit of ways to make us feel rich and flourish in doing so. Writers Elkins and Houston afforded us insights into what richness does for one's personal ambition. They wrote about the implicit strategies invoked by richness, for example, freedom and opportunities, a certain millionaire's mindset, a right or a privilege. These are allusions to imaginatively and creatively packaging advantages and restraints. Note the combination of terms used. Some are sea legs, some of my own. Feeling rich is the foundation that must transition to a myriad of opportunities to flourish. Ways to do that are predicated upon an individual authority and latent cause, imagining, discovering our unfair advantages and all other advantages and restraints. Fitness for ambition is a dynamic pursuit. 
Thank you for listening to Danny Rare's blog.